But still, I hadn't dreamt nothing about me and Ed until the end. And this was cloudier, because it was years, years away. But I saw an old couple being visited by their children, and all their grandchildren, too. And the old couple wasn't screwed up, and neither were their kids or their grandkids. And I don't know. You tell me this whole dream. Was it wishful thinking? Was I just fleeing reality like I know I'm liable to do? But me and Ed, we can be good too. And it seemed real. It seemed like us. And it seemed like, well, our home. If not Arizona, then a land not too far away, where all parents are strong and wise and capable, and all children are happy and beloved. I don't know. Maybe it was Utah. Welcome to Flyby Films. Once or twice a month, through the mystical form of astral projection. Oh, let me start again. Welcome to Flyby Films. Once or twice a month, through a mystical form of astral pro projection, we get together to discuss films that either have been or will be forgotten. I'm Blake Collier, and on the line in Chico, California, is my friend and co-host, Jamison Barsodi. On this episode, we are going to be talking about what is considered by a fair portion of paid critics to be the worst of the Coen Brothers films. 2004's The Lady Killers. Jameson, to be honest, uh, it's been so long since we've last recorded an episode and I've kind of forgot which one of us chose this film. Can you please remind me and inform the listeners who chose it and why? Yeah, I can. Uh, but you're right. It's been basically forever in podcasts. It's been a while since I gone and fucked things up just like I always did. I I think we've lost. Well, if <laughs> if any listeners survived the lull in the podcast, I think Blake just killed them. Just yeah, exactly. So, uh yeah. So I guess we'll just be talking to ourselves. No, That's I didn't kill fine. them. I didn't kill them. I stained them. Oh. Mm. That sounded dirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So how this movie was chosen actually starts back in like early March or late February. Okay. So I have a book club. Um, it's my book club. Only I get it. 
Um, but uh, you buy the book, you decide the books, you you buy the books, you read the books, and you talk to yourself about the books. Yeah, yeah, it's just well, me. Um, you do, you. you know. Yeah, I, it's a club of one. You know, it works. I it mean, makes me feel. If there's an audience of one, then there can be a club of one. Yeah, it makes me feel important. And you know what? That's what they say. Do what makes you feel important, you know? Mm-hmm. So. That's right. Um, quick question. Can you hear my son screaming? Ever so faintly. Okay. And we are keeping all this in, including my mess up. That, that yes. Folks, that is not that is not a banshee living in my house. That's my son going, ah, which is his new favorite noise. Um, which so, or or is my or as my son says, ghost banshee sad boy. Yeah, ghost banshee sad boy. My son is acting that out. So your son likes talking about it and reading about it and thinking about it. My son likes acting it out for some reason. That's right. Um, but yeah, uh, so. Like a month and a half ago, um, my friend Nate was texting. Who was on the chat. podcast? Yes. Nate, who was on the podcast, he was texting the group chat and he was like, hey, uh, it's the Big Lebowski's uh, 25th. Yes, that's what it is. 25th anniversary, um, which is, yeah, happy birthday, Big Lebowski. But um, it made me think in conjunction with March Madness which was coming up. Oh, I bet you could do a, a slam bang uh, bracket of Coen Brothers movies. And yeah, it turns out that there's 18 Coen Brothers movies. I'm not including not including uh, Macbeth, because that was just Joel. And I'm not including their short that they did in From Paris with Love. Uh, just full length Coen Brothers movies where they're co-directors or where they were kind of seen as co-directors later on because it, they gotcha. didn't start including Joel and Ethan until I think early 2000s. I think maybe it was Intolerable Cruelty that was the first. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, so for the month of March, we actually held a bracket uh deciding which was the top Coen Brothers movie. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was pretty fun. And um, how I kind of started it with uh, with like seeding it so that you have kind of fair, uh, whatever, you know, you know how seeding works, um, was uh, it's basically like an initial ranking. I think seeding is kind of silly because you're basically already like playing out the bracket before it already mm-hmm. plays out, but whatever, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. So I took the IMDB score, which is um, kind of a, a metric of how the populace thinks of these movies. And then I took the Metacritic score, which is like a measure of, of what the paid critics think of these movies and those paid critics i took those scores and i aggregated them and then i ranked them uh by that aggregate score and that's how i got the seating and uh 
And it turns out that one movie sinks below the rest in all of this, which is true of any bracket, right? You know. Yeah, you're, of course. You got to have the lowest. So, yeah, there will be a worst Coen Brothers movie. I don't care yep. what you think of them. You know, they could be God to you. It doesn't but... mean that their worst is still better than the best of another director. No, no. And it doesn't mean, I mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's yeah. great or anything. It just means that... Maybe their best film is worse than the worst film of the worst director. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? No one knows where it lands. Yeah. No one... Like, do you think anyone's ever done a, a ranking of all of the movies before... <laughs> I think some people have tried and that, failed. Yeah. I think because no be... one no one wants to watch the full filmography of UA Bowl. Until now. Until now. That's welcome folks. This is gonna be our Halloween special. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh I just remember he made a bunch of video game movies. I think he did House of the Dead. I didn't see that one, but um, the only one I remember seeing, and I didn't mind it when I saw it. But it probably sucks now if I'd went back and watched it. But it was Alone in the Dark with Christian Slater. I remember, I think I remember that it. one. Yeah, yeah. I didn't but, see it. Yeah, yeah. That was college. That was dumb I, me. That was that was riding on Zenga me. Yeah. yeah. I I always wondered if uh, if Yue Bull was like the type of director that was actually bad or it was just kind of fun to call him a bad director. I'm assuming that he was a bad director. Uh I just never saw a film of his that I thought was good by any metric but i think what most people dislike about him is his general like ego Mm, yeah like he like he constantly sounds like he thinks people are full of shit because like they think he's a bad director and he's like no you're a bad reviewer that kind of thing yeah, that can be a pretty big turnoff. Yeah. Even I get for the that, best directors. Yeah, I get that feeling <laughs> for some good directors too. Yeah, exactly. I think uh I think that's that's one of the reasons I have a hard time with like watching Lars von Trier movies. Yeah. Is because he's he's just such a jackass and I don't think he I don't think that his art absolves him of that. So no. I nope. I think very few artists can can kind of make that case, but yeah. there might be a couple out there that I would I would argue. Okay, you could you get a chance to be an asshole, but in this in this situation, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, so uh, one one film rises to the bottom, and it is uh, it's the Lady Killers by the coen brothers 
obviously is a Coen Brothers bracket. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's their 2004 uh, remake, reinterpretation. Yeah, of, probably reinterpretation is probably a good way of putting it. Yeah, of uh, 1950s screwball classic of the same name starring Alan yeah. Guinness. Mm-hmm. So, um, Which we also watched in preparation for this, this episode. Uh, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched it, so I will inform the listeners of I... things and stuffs. Yeah. So one of <laughs> Yeah, we get half credit for that. Um but um we did talk about potentially watching it. And yes. so I didn't watch it, but I had it in my mind that maybe I would. I don't know if that That's gets fair. me partial credit. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that that means you watched it. Okay. If you if yeah. you imagined it as you thought it would be. That counts in my opinion. Yeah, I just That's what all it. film is. It's your imagination. Interpreting Project- what yeah. you see. Projected imagination. I get it. Yeah, exactly. I'm down. So, Jameson, uh, we need to talk about something that is has the last couple of days has been making both of us very distraught. Um, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, the oh. fly in the ointment. Uh, we need to talk about, you guessed it, Ari Aster in his new film, Beauregard is Fearful. What? Wait, I didn't hear, what? Beauregard is Fearful. That's the name of his new film. Bo is Afraid? Oh, I heard it was Beauregard is Fearful. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I didn't understand what your question was. Well, no, I was just saying that that, that this was what we need to talk about. Ari Aster and his new oh. film. It's been making us distraught the last couple it, of days. Has it been? Well, I just told you, yeah. I texted you that it's I mean, the simple fact that Ari Aster deigns to make another film is distressing enough. Sure. Yeah. Look, I liked, I've liked his filmography more than you. I know that. But I didn't like Midsummer. You you mean Midsommar as the paid critics call it yes um and then i did like hereditary but i do think that in light of midsomar hereditary gets a little bit worse so uh, i i seem to remember i i have a very distinct memory of you texting me right after you came out of midsomar and you said that's it. Ari Aster's a hack. Yeah. I mean, I I think I agree with that. And I think from what I've read in this up 
upcoming movie, Bo is Afraid. It you mean does... Beauregard is Fearful. Beauregard is Fearful, yes. Um, <laughs> it, the, the reviews that I've read, the paid reviews that I've read, um, have not convinced me that my position is without merit or anything of that sort. Um, I think Ari Aster, and this is something you picked up on in Hereditary. I remember reading stuff that you taught that you wrote about it, but Ari Aster doesn't like his characters and it's really frustrating to just watch them suffer without someone in the background who cares about them. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, suffering is real and human and you can, you know, there's a place for it in cinema, but it's different to watch someone t- torture their characters because they just don't care about them or like them than it is to watch someone care through some sort of suffering for a person, you know, or Mm -hmm. a character. And I think I just don't have time in my life for things that are that dark, I guess, which is really, I don't know. Like I watch horror movies. I watch terrible things and stuff like that. But I do think that there's more going on in the movies that, you know, that that speak to me. So um, yeah. I don't know. You got to have that. So that's that's basically in a nutshell of how I feel about about Ari Aster's movies so far. Hereditary had enough pizzazz and excitement and like shock value that like it, it masked it for me, but then midsomar it, it that that movie didn't help <laughs> so i think i think hereditary would have been a good film if it had been shortened by about an hour if it had ended with the defenestration i think it would have been a masterpiece that is i think that's one of so I will give him this. That's one of the most shocking things in any movie. Yeah. So, um, but once what's her name, Margot, Margot Martindale, Margot Martindale walks into the scene. I saw the rest of the movie. I knew where it was going. I knew what the whole thing was. I was like, "It's Margot Martindale. She's up to no good." <laughs> Are there any other characters or like actors in films that do that for you? Uh, I'm sure there are. I can't think any off off the top of my head. Just whenever I see them, like I know there's at least one or two others that it's 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 shocking whenever it doesn't play out the way you expect it to with them. Yeah. Just because they played that character specifically so often. Um, yeah. I but think, she is very specifically one of those people. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think um, I think another good example is uh, Beth Grant. She was in Faults that we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I th- I think she's almost a giveaway in that movie. Yes. <laughs> because you're like, she always plays a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she's always kind of a little weird. So something is going to go, always, you know. Always on the edge of unhinged. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I don't like Ari Aster. So we can move on. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Again, I'd probably be down to watch Hereditary again, but I don't want to watch Midsommar again. And then the reviews of Beauregard is Afraid just make it sound like he's putting this guy through torture again. So, you know, it's just... Well, he picked the right guy, at least. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix loves being put through torture. So, he was in The Joker, after all. And he's going to be in the sequel to The Joker. Well, of course he is, because it's a superhero movie. Yeah. Always got to have a sequel. Can't just Uh, let it lie. You can't just let it be a bad movie that happened once. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. uh, So I wanted to bring up one more thing. Okay. My wife showed me this video on Facebook because my wife is still on Facebook. I think a lot of wives are on Facebook. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's kind of a, like there are, they are, are like tethering to family and friends. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but she showed me this video of this, uh, mother talking to her probably two or three year old son about emotions this kid was very intelligent. Well, I mean, within reason, he had, of course, he's two or three, so sentence structure is not great. And, but you can, you you get what he's saying, and, and he's talking about how he was having a hard time that day with his emotions because he got angry. But, you know, and it ended with this moment where he's like, I got really angry and I got mad. And then he hugs his mom and he's like, but, but you still love me. And... And I turned to my wife and I was like, why the fuck did you bring this into my life? <laughs> I don't need this right now. <laughs> it didn't it didn't warm the cockles of your heart. Oh, it or warmed it, did. it. And that's it why as a good Texas panhandle guy, I do not need my emotions coming to the service. <laughs> I imagine... Uh, you like got all Hank Hill uncomfortable at that moment. You were like, Oh, I started talking about propane and propane accessories. That boy. Ain't right. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so, so I was curious, how do you process emotions, Jameson? I just, oh. I just push them down. I just push them down and do <laughs> not deal with them. I, I'm, I, I am emotionally ignorant. So this is an interesting question. I also think that this is an interesting question when it comes to movies too, because um, I don't really cry a lot. 
I don't think I've mm-hmm. cried very often in my adulthood. Um, and, you know, that's not a surprise. Like, oh, you know, men aren't really known for their emotions. It's a stereotype and whatnot. But, um, but how, how do I process them? I don't know. I don't really have like a method. <laughs> I, I thought just... you were about to say, I don't really have them. <laughs> yeah. Do you, re- <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, there's a, there's a sunny, it's always sunny in Philadelphia episode where, uh, they're, t- <laughs> I, I forget what they're talking about, but, uh, Dennis goes, do you guys remember emotions? Like, do you remember <laughs> when we had them in, in high school? And then, <laughs> Mac is like, yeah, dude, I still have emotions. Everyone has emotions. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, I, I get emotions. I don't know. I think I like, I try to stay busy and not necessarily push them down. So I don't know. I deal with them. I just don't think about a methodology for dealing with them is all it is. Um, but movies will sometimes crack through. Uh, uh-huh. and I don't know why. And what's the most what... notable example of a film that cracked through? Oh man. Well, yeah, I know that answer, but that's almost okay. like, that's almost like cheating because it makes everyone cry. Um, yeah, but grave of the fireflies have you seen never that? saw it oh never saw it my god oh my but god i've heard i've heard Blake. stories all right i've only seen one i've only seen one studio Ghibli movie. well so this one isn't <laughs> isn't a miyazaki movie it's studio ghibli but like it's not miyazaki it's i forget who the director is but um but you know it's historical sad fiction. boy o'callahan Pretty sure that's who it was. Sad boy O'Callaghan. Yeah. Uh, this Japanese Irish guy. Um, yeah, Japanese Irish guy. Um, no, it was... Uh, I When I was in high school, I took Japanese classes at the community college nearby. And I think I was in like Japanese two or three. And my teacher was like, oh, yeah. For the final project, you have to write a paper in Japanese on this movie. And then we all had to watch Grave of the Fireflies in a classroom and oh, God. <laughs> together. And so, like, it's coming to the end. And I'm just, like, trying to keep my eyes from being seen by anyone. And I'm trying to, like also watch the movie and hear what's going on so I can write about it. And it's, it was traumatic. I mean, not as Sounds like absolute as... torture, <laughs> absolute torture, but it is such a good movie, Blake. It is. It's, it's incredible. And it's incredible how like emotionally manipulative it is. So, well, it's, it's unfortunate that we'll never actually cover it because of, Clearly, it has never been forgotten by anybody in the world. Yeah. No, I don't think you could forget that movie. (laughs) You'll just have to watch it on your own. 
It can't be. It can't be any more emotionally manipulating than 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 the Notebook. Well, I feel like um, I feel like it earns the emotion. But yeah, which the, the Notebook time, does not, but it still does it. Yeah, but so it earns it, but then it like turns it up to eleven, which is maybe where the manipulation comes in. Is gotcha. like, it's just yeah. oh it just keeps going and going and going and getting more heartbreaking um yeah no like if you if that video got you you're yeah you're god dead man you're a dead man with grave of the fireflies mm. yeah so yeah i i i had two so this is an interesting question because yes, I did. I did, I ugly cried at the Notebook when I first saw it, and this is long before. Well, not long, but quite a ways before my own dad had Alzheimer's. So I was already like, like sobbing about this thing that was about to happen, <laughs> and I didn't yeah. even know it. Uh, but I hate that movie. I hate it with every inch of my being because I think it is the prime example of at the worst version of emotional manipulation in a moment in a movie. So, but, but more, more recently uh, I cried at when a monster calls, which is oh. based on that uh, book uh, came out a few years back. Uh, excellent movie. Um, so Bayona is a director. He's the one who did the orphanage, I believe. Um, I and I'm trying and to Sigourney think if I've seen it. Yeah, she had a small role in it, but uh, very good. But we'll make you cry like a little bitch. Uh, and then there was uh, Waves, which was the second movie by the guy who did It Comes in the Night, I believe. Uh, didn't wait. I thought he had already done. Isn't it the same? Oh no, it wasn't. Did? It wasn't. In, it comes in the night. It was a uh, uh, Krishna or Krisha. Krisha, Krisha. Yeah. The second, the 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 next movie he did was Waves. Yeah. Um, and that one made that that one did a number on me. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I've heard it's really good though. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. So um, I, I suppose this is a good time to ask our listeners, what movie made you cry a little, like a little bitch? Blake. What? You froze. I, uh, oh, is that? Uh, yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Oh, you're wow. Back. Um, no, so uh, Trey Edward Schultz did Kresha, then It Comes at Night, and then Waves. Okay, so, so he did do it comes at it's, night. Yeah, it's the I same. It's the same guy. It comes at night. That I liked that. I would like to revisit it, but that was I, the last A twenty four horror film that I was fully behind, outside of Robert Eggers. But everything Robert Eggers is gold. So yeah, did you see the Northman? Oh yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was loved it. Loved it. The only downside. This is my only critique. If there is a critique, not enough Willem Dafoe, not enough Ethan Hawke. Outside of that, great film. 
Yeah, but when <laughs> when Willem Dafoe comes back as a skull, that's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So. And I am excited for his Nosferatu, which is apparently coming out here before too long. It yeah. started filming already. Yeah. It, and guess what? Has Willem Dafoe in it. Surprise, surprise. What is he? Is he going to be Nosferatu? Oh, no. No. Oh. No. Uh, Bill Skarsgård. Which is actually a pretty good pick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, young young Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen? Also known as the young. Have I seen what? What did he actually play, young Buscemi? No, but have you seen pictures of them like side by side? Oh, they, I'm like, sure it's incredible. Yeah, they look alike, which is crazy because all of the scars guards are really beautiful, yeah. and. Steve Buscemi is not. So it's like if you made no offense to Steve Buscemi, he's just a weird looking guy. They made, yeah. you know, they mentioned mm-hmm. that in Fargo, like he's a weird looking guy. That's a whole bit that they do. Um, and it's kind of part of his trademark. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not trying to be offensive, but, um, but, um, oh, where was I going with this? I lost my train of thought. They look alike. They do Little look Scar's like, Garden. yeah, it's like if you made Steve Buscemi a really a, attractive guy, you know, or that tried as much as you could. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I Bill Skarsgård has has largely impressed me in not only his acting, but uh, a lot of his selections. I think he was as good, if not better than Tim Curry's. Pennywise, even though I hated the movies. Okay. Uh, and Did he you was like... great in Barbarian. Yes. And he was great in the uh, the first season of that Castle Rock show that was the Stephen King television oh. show that lasted two seasons. Yeah. The first season was great. Never saw the second season, but apparently it wasn't very good because it got canceled. So <laughs> I watched it. It wasn't good. Yeah, that's unfortunate. The first season was good, though. I, you know, he was the best part of the first season. Easily. I don't. Yeah. I don't think I loved the first season, but I did. I thought his character was was compelling. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he was good in Barbarian. I really liked that a lot. Oh, you you mentioned something about it. Um, did you like the Tim Curry? Do you like the Tim Curry one? I like the Tim Curry one because of Tim Curry. Okay. I don't think any of the movies have been great. Yeah. But I think the people they've gotten to play it, Pennywise have been incredible across the board. Yeah. I I think I agree with that. I think I I remember watching the TV movie and just being so underwhelmed outside of the Pennywise scenes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh but still, you know, the Tim Curry as Pennywise is so iconic. Uh but yeah. I I have a love-hate relationship with it as a book and as a movie. Uh, I have read, I've read, 
I've listened to it twice all the way through um, throughout my life. And something there's there's an element of brilliance in that book, but you have to trample through a lot of shit to get there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what what keeps bringing you back? Like, that's a giant book to read yeah. again. Well, and that's why I listen to it, because it takes too damn long <laughs> to read. Yeah. Uh, and and like you, I'm a slow reader, although apparently not as slow as you are. Yes. Um, but you also have a, a young child, so that yeah, it's it's give and take there. But no, it's it's the idea of the uh, the evil that inhabits the town. It's it's he always he always does this with his books. He gets a really fascinating idea and never pays any attention to it. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, I mean, I haven't really read a lot of Stephen King. But just judging from the movies that have been made about his stuff, um, there's there's good ideas, and then there's just some bad executions of these things. Yeah. So, but you know, Stephen King is very prolific as far as writing. So who am I to judge? No one will see clowns and or sewer drains the same way ever again. Yeah. He's had his impact. Yeah. Uh, there's a third elephant in the room, Blake. I don't know if we've oh, already sh- talked about it, too. That's a lot of elephants. Yeah. I know. How how did we not see them? They're just they're big. <laughs> I just don't. I don't understand it. Uh, oh, are they some of those miniature ones? Oh, mini elephants. Yeah. Many elephants in the room. Yeah. We could have several mini elephants in the room. Many. We wouldn't even many. know it. Many, many elephants. I feel like that is like a tongue twister. What's the, um, what, so, so what's the third elephant? Well, this may come as a, as a shock to you, but this is our last episode. Fuck. On the free plus tier of Zencaster. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you got the email, but we're being, uh, we're being upgrade or, uh, promoted, (laughs) promoted, promoted. We have to pay to be promoted. No, I don't know. I, I, it reminds me, it was some like nice way of, of saying that they're kicking us off of basically the, the tools that we're using. Uh, but it reminds me, I remember a friend of mine was worked at Best Buy way back when, and when they got fired for using their employee discount too much, they would call it being promoted to customer. Uh, <laughs> and that's always stuck in my mind. So uh, <laughs> that's amazing. So I was trying to try to connect that there. But yeah, um, <laughs> Zencaster is which for those who don't know, because you don't see us, you don't see the Zencaster logo um, in the boxes that we are. But um, we use Zencaster to do our recording, which is, is fine. Uh, the best part about it was that it was free and we could use it. 
to make our low effort podcast. Yeah. And yeah. now it's not. <laughs> but we're also maybe a bit too lazy right now to research other options. So um, where we're at right now is we have a time limit. But I don't know if Blake realizes the time limit is actually for the entire month. Uh. <laughs> so this is maybe is where awesome. this is maybe where we have a big problem. I didn't look into how uh, how expensive it is to go to the next tier, the premium tier or whatever. But uh, but we might have there's, to. There's cheaper ways to do it. Well, I can guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll have to do some brainstorming here. But um, but yeah, us boys have a two hour time limit every month. And um, if you have listened or even just seen the lengths of our episodes, that is going to be a problem. <laughs> So we'll have to spend some time solving it. As I told Jameson before we got on, although I did not at the time know that that was our monthly limit. uh, I told him, well, either we finish up in two hours or we have a hard stop. Yeah, exactly. And it's all going up regardless. (laughs) Just keep on going. Keep on recording. Never stop. Never stop, never stopping. So, Jameson, let's get into the movie. We're hitting the 40-minute mark, which are which is usually around the time that we actually talk about what we came here to talk about. I, yeah, we don't want it's, to bore our poor listeners with any more shenanigans where we talk about how shitty Ari Aster is or, or how much we cry like old babies at movies and all the other things let's 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 get into killing ladies yes that has never happened in the hit you know that this is a fictional film when you know that no ladies have ever been harmed in the history of mankind in the making of any movies well definitely not in the making of any movies but don't they the rest of the world don't they add that subscript to the end Right after they talk about pets, they're like, "No pets, no ladies were killed in the in the also making no, of the film. No, la- no ladies were killed." Uh, do you do you think do you think that the lady in this movie deserved to be killed? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, I was just asking. That was a that was an honest question. So, I mean, maybe we should talk about that title. Okay, but. Let's give some setup to the movie. Okay, it's what is the movie about? <laughs> and it's about five bumbling burglars who mm-hmm. use an old lady's house to plan out and disguise their heist. And she ruins it and then they have to try to kill her so that she doesn't give away their secret. But they fumble that because they suck. Yes. And they end up killing themselves or getting killed. Mm-hmm. And they get sent to 
Garbage Island. Garbage Island or Trainland. Trainland? Is this yes. is this secret knowledge for people who have seen the original? Yes. Mm. Yes, it's a train in the original because it takes place in the merry old city of London. I I knew that much. I knew that it was a British movie. Whereas they the dump remake, the bodies over the side onto empty train cars. Yep, but no Trash Island, which mm-hmm. is very much a a Coen Brothers type type of thing because they like to inject a little bit of funky religion into their movies, just to, you know, Hades, you know, get that yeah. religious imagery in there, you know. Yeah. For those no. of you who don't know, the biblical idea of hell is actually just a garbage pit. Yep. According to the Hebrew, according to the smart people who know Hebrew. That would make sense. I think I would hate living in a garbage pit. Yeah. It would for suck. eternity. Yep. It would be for eternity. pretty terrible. Yep. Um, so, okay, the, the name comes from the fact that they try to kill a lady, but it's a little bit of a goof because none of them are actually successful lady killers. Nope. Um. In, in either film. In either film. Hmm. So, Blake... What did you think of the Coen Brothers' worst film? So, being the contrarian that I normally try to be, with conviction, I've been told, whenever I spout my contrarian viewpoints, I usually have conviction behind it. I'm being honest in my contrariness. But... I went into this film thinking, oh, this will be good. This is Coen Brothers. It's not ever going to let me down. You know, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And lo and behold, the first third to half, I was laughing pretty hard. Especially whenever Marlon Wayans was kept saying that he, that, that, uh, what's his name, brought his bitch to a Waffle House. I, uh, for some reason, that just made me giggle for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I I forget his name in the movie, but it's it's John Jonah Jameson. Um, yeah, uh, it's J.K. Simmons. But J.K. Simmons, yeah. Uh, but man, I I don't know why it made me laugh so much. But whenever he did, he just kept saying it. I was just <laughs> it's, it got me every time. There were several really hilarious parts in the beginning of that movie. Once we actually got down to the heist and the subsequent trying to kill the lady, it lost a lot of steam for me. Mm. Um, Mm. But I will say, compared to the 1955 one, which by my estimation had no steam from the beginning... Hmm. I think it was an improvement. 
So okay. I went into the 1955 one thinking, oh, this will easily be better. You know, most of the time the original is, generally speaking, better because they're they're relying on less technology. They're not taking the easy way out. They're relying on the actors to actually act instead of green screens and all this good stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these highfalutin, paid, critical ways of looking at things. And uh, I came out and I was like, yeah, yeah, that was not good. That wasn't good. Mm. I don't think either one is good. I I I think I think the Coen Brothers one improved, and I think it has its charms. I think the original has its charms too, but neither, neither achieve goodness. Yeah, I. What think, are your thoughts, Jameson? So my thoughts were going in. I knew it was the the worst, and I'm I'm putting that in scare quotes. Uh, Coen Brothers movie and coming out I still think it's the worst Coen Brothers <laughs> film you know I still think it's at the bottom I don't know if I think it's bad as much as I just think oh that was fine weirdly I took a little bit warming up to it And I thought that it got more interesting kind of near the end during the time trying to kill the, the old lady. Um, I, you know, in kind of reading old reviews about this, I, and watching it again too, it it fits into so it's kind of like um coen brothers they make you know screwball comedies and they make you know dark comedies and then they make uh you know i i i actually kind of feel like all their movies are comedies um even like some of the even some of the darker ones like no country for old men um oh blood simple i yeah there's there's always a, a very you know funny aspect to how the characters are kind of bumbling around or like in in the case of no country for old men i think like how i don't know how like terrifying the character is almost makes you want to laugh um especially yeah. with how like goofy he looks and things like that um there's you know there's always these idiosyncrasies that that kind of stick out to me as funny in their movies um Mm -hmm. but um but one of their modes and i'll say like raising arizona uh oh brother where art thou those both kind of fit into this mode of of almost looney tunes-esque buster scruggs yeah buster scruggs and um and not all of their movies kind of fit into that that kind of wacky, extra wacky. No. And I feel like this movie just, they're going for broke with that. But that being said, it doesn't feel that zany to me 
until nearer to the end. Like, I feel like it takes some... That's fair. It, outside of, like, outside of Tom Hanks' character, <laughs> like, that, like, he's... If, like, if you're a fan of, of, uh, of Knives Out and those yeah. movies, you should check out Lady Killers just for Tom Hanks' performance because yeah. he's... He's dialing in the the foghorn leghorn, like you know. One well, and and his appearance, his facial appearance, is straight from the original. Oh, like, really? The, the slightly buck teeth, like, um, like he's t- he's he is mimicking Alec Guinness. Oh, cool! In the way Alec Guinness plays it, yeah, just not southern. <laughs> yeah. Alec Guinness is very much a, you know, bourgeois uh Londoner. So Yeah. But it's that it's that slightly drawn bucktooth uh like almost uh lisp um mm. speaking means of speaking that that Tom Hanks is kind of getting at. Uh I I <laughs> I appreciate Tom Hanks's attempt in this movie. <laughs> I think it was it was something different for Tom Hanks. <laughs> he he goes for it. He goes for broke. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So um yeah, I I like kind of that that you know zany aspect, but I think that they just do such a better job at at nailing that feeling and also connecting it to, I don't know, something deeper in both yeah. raised in Arizona and, and Oh brother, where art thou? And then also like even, so uh, this movie was kind of at the lull of their career too. Cause they had just done intolerable cruelty, which is actually a really, really funny movie. Like I think Never intolerable cruelty is, is much funnier than this movie. Um, but both of these movies are kind of like thought of as lower tier. And yeah. so they, they make these two. And then afterwards they come out with, Oh brother, or not Oh brother. Uh, the next one after this one is um, no country for old men, which is just, you know, people think that's their, that's their greatest. Oh, an aside. I think that we should do, is the book better than the movie with no country for old men? I've thought about this and I know we had talked about doing it with night of the hunter, but people Mm -hmm. don't have strong opinions about night of the hunter, the book or the author. But I feel like in this case you have Cormac fucking McCarthy and the Coen brothers going Coen fucking brothers going that sounded and, bad. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> going head to head. And I think it would be, I think that's a compelling choice. Okay. I'm done. I've never actually read the book because I read like a chapter and it was almost word for word the, the movie. And I was like, eh, I've seen the movie. <laughs> well, yeah. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> If if the movie is just literally an interpretation of the book, you know, 
does that make it better? Like, well, and and the book was if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the book was originally a screenplay. I believe that's true. I don't know the history that well, but I think unlike the counselor, which was a screenplay. Did you like the counselor? Never saw it. Oh, I did see it. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I liked it. Um, I don't think people like it that much, but I I thought it was. Well, let me guess the paid critics didn't like it either. Some paid critics liked it. I think it was a split. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I wonder if the people who liked it didn't get paid. Maybe. And they like they were like, screw it. I'm going to tell my actual opinion. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, so back to back to the movie. Back to the movie. I yeah, I, I felt like it started to pick up, but by the time it started to pick up for me, it you know, there was like a couple minutes left and it didn't clench anything. So it wasn't Yeah. You know. Well and and the typical the typical Cohen brothers kind of <clears throat> tone felt shoehorned in. Like it's one of those things like there's a reason why the Cohen brothers don't do remakes of movies because they already have brilliant imaginations without remaking movies. And I think they, they were trying too hard to remake this movie instead of just doing something different with it or just doing something else. (laughs) Um, Because you, if you watch either film, you know what the storyline of the other film is. It's not like they strayed that far away from it. Um, the only the main difference is, is that it's London and the old one. It's the South, uh, I, like Kentucky, something like that, Tennessee, something like that. And the, the new one. I thought it was Mississippi, but uh, yeah, Mississippi, probably Mississippi. Um, and then the cast of Coen Brothers movie is more diverse as far yeah. as like the different types of people. Now there's a dummy in both, but the dummy in the Coen Brothers is like way more idiotic than the one in, in the old one. Uh, but that was for comic effect. And that that actor did a stellar job of playing that role. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, actually, that is the one, that is the one thing I do like about the Coen brothers version is making, so it's not necessarily different from the original, but I feel like they make, they make it more pointed in the Coen brothers one is that the smartest person in the group of thieves is the dumb one. Mm. Uh, because he's the one who recognizes like that this is not good. <laughs> he's the one he's like the he's the heart of the crew. He, he um, has uh he has like uh moral intelligence. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he 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 actually has an actual conscience. Yeah. Um and it's the same in the old one, but I feel like 
being the Coens, they want to really point that out in their version. Um, so they give him that kind of that last moment where he accidentally shoots himself. Uh, what he says to Tom Hanks in that last moment is is more than the guy in the 1955 one does get. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think that's those are the kinds of things that the Coen brothers are really good at. And not only religious imagery, but also kind of these Flannery O'Connor elements where it's like, yeah showing the 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 either the worst people or the dumbest people being the heroes of the tale um because they're the ones like it's the idea of you know the first being the last the last you know all the backwards nature of you know biblical you know imagery and kingdom language and whatnot and and they both Flannery O'Connor was known for notoriously making the villain the the most interesting most <laughs> faithful character in in her stories and I think Cohen's tend to do that as well um yeah I, so, I, I mean I I was going to say like Flanner O'Connor, yeah. When you were talking about it, yeah, uh, yeah, I've I've tried to convince my friends that the Coen Brothers and Flanner O'Connor have a lot in common, um, but uh, I don't know why the Coen Brothers haven't done a Flanner O'Connor story I don't, or movie. I don't either. Honest. I think that I think it would be, you know, I mean that is chef, like Chef's Kiss, perfect wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I think they would nail it too. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, man. Ugh. Now I'm just thinking about that. Now I'm just thinking <laughs> about, about a Flannery O'Connor uh, story being adapted. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, he's also. <laughs> He has one other point in the movie of, of intelligence too, when they're at the, the waffle hut and mm-hmm. they're trying to like figure out how to, um, how to, Oh, so, uh, the, the Wayne brother, he, his character gets fired from the casino, which they're trying to steal from, but they still need an mm-hmm. inside man. And, um, so, they're all kind of discussing like, well, how do we get him his job back? How do we, how do we convince his boss? And then uh, that same character is like, well, why don't we just bribe him? <laughs> Wouldn't that work? <laughs> and then they're like, Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. But That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I really liked the imagery of trash Island. <laughs> Yes, that is a very compelling image. Yeah. I just wish I, they had done more with it. <laughs> I, you know, I liked it. I liked it because like, you know, it it kept showing up when they were when they were trying to get rid of the dirt, like they had to go out and they had to, you know, send their stuff to Trash Island, but mm-hmm. then you know, the the fatefulness of 
they all also ended up on trash islands no matter you know even the people who they you know thought that they weren't going to you know and the people who almost almost were saved by their own you know their own clothing items and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it still wasn't enough they were still pulled pulled to trash island so well and i i didn't think about it until we started talking about flying o'connor and biblical imagery and whatnot in this movie but one of the final scenes is the cat the old lady's cat yeah delivering the final appendage of the burglars to the um, moat or the or the boat that's going to trash island uh the finger and the image in my head when I was thinking about that is that uh, it's the idea of the uh, you would be better to pluck out your own eye than to uh, suffer, you know, whatever the verse is. I can't remember how it goes, but it's this yeah. idea that like it's better to just take off an appendage than it is to sin uh, in this way. And and in my mind, I'm thinking that cat is making sure that that last appendage is <laughs> being tossed with the rest of it you know it's like tossing that final plucking that eye out and cutting cutting that last (laughs) finger off exactly yeah yeah oh yeah but i guess overall i don't know i connected more like talking about it with you like i feel like these ideas are more alive than they were when I was watching it. Uh, yeah. Which... And I think that's the problem. Yeah, which is... It's so unfortunate because you wish... You almost wish you could go back because, the, you know... I know it sounds like the Code Brothers are so prolific, they have these 18 movies, but, like, I, like, recently watched almost all of them. Mm-hmm. And I just wish that there were more... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so I like want to go back and be like, "Well, could you guys remake this and give us like a director's cut that's a little bit better?" <laughs> or yeah, you know. exactly. Um, and so yeah, I was like, I you know, I'll, I'll, there's there's still nuggets, and maybe you know, maybe it'll stick with me um, as time goes on or something like that. But, but that's the, that's the unfortunate thing about it is that the interesting aspects of the movie are bringing in the remainder of Cohen brothers catalog into conversation with it instead of yes. the movie itself. And that's partially just the, being the Cohen brothers, all their movies are in conversation with each other. It's, it's kind of what they do. It's kind of their whole, it's why people love the Cohen brothers is because it almost feels of one piece or one. I, I don't like the term universe. Um, because that just has it's fraught. Sure, with, sure. Uh, but but it it's it's it does feel of one uh, narrative kind of range with their the rest of their films and and so but this one feels particularly prone to the only interesting things about it is if you bring in what you know about other Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Into yeah. this film. <laughs> and not anything in the film itself (laughs) yeah except for like maybe an image here or a dialogue here or something like that 
I think I agree with that. And I think that's really kind of a, a good way to put it to and and kind of showcases why like, okay, yeah, this is the worst one because all the other ones you have to kind of bring in. Yeah. But, um, but you know, that, that Coen brothers universe idea has also been played out on TV too. Yes, um, of course. And we, I think we're both fans of oh, that yeah. show. Uh, Although it, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't seen all the Coen Brothers movies like you have. Um, there's still probably three or four that I've are still blind spots for me. Intolerable Cruelty being one of them. Uh, because I remember it getting panned so heavily at that time that I never did see it because of that. Um, part of me wonders if, like... Coen brothers have always been kind of these quirky filmmakers and they were kind of indie before indie was a thing. Yeah. Um, or like not, not some indie's always been a thing, but the terminology of being an indie darling or something like that, they were kind of an indie darling before that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And almost feels like this and maybe intolerable cruelty, even though I haven't seen it, were their attempt at like breaking through the mainstream because they have the gloss of mainstream features. And it wasn't like, like I can see how a brother is kind of in that vein too. And just like no country for old men kind of is, but I feel like all the other movies around those that like pair that patch there is pretty indie. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, Hail Caesar has gloss, but it's gloss to make a point about Hollywood. <laughs> it, I mean, it is. Yeah, I guess it's interesting, and you know, and the idea of indie darling, I think, fits because, like, or like before, like they were, yeah. you know, they were like '90s indie darlings. You know, yeah. when you think of. When you think of indie directors in the 90s, usually like the main one that comes up is Quentin Tarantino, right? So that's like, he kind of defined the terms. And I actually think the Coen brothers are like right there behind him. And this is due to a single movie too. And that is The Big Lebowski. Uh, If you go to any college dorm, you're going to see a couple posters. You're going to see Pulp Fiction. You're going to see, you know, uh, I can't think of another good one except The Big Lebowski. That's also going to be there. So, uh, you know, these are these are quintessential, like, college dude movies. And I feel like those, that was kind of the the definition of, like, 90s indie. And, and you know, I, I do think that, like, that I don't know if it wasn't until like later that Big Lebowski cemented as as like one of the most mainstream Coen Brothers movies because I think I think that and Oh Brother Where Art Thou are probably their biggest like culturally influence influencing movies because yeah. yeah. with uh, with 
Big Lebowski, you have kind of this cult film status that that uh, grew a religion out of it, like a pseudo religion, mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, Dudism. Uh, Dudism. Yeah. It's a thing. Uh, and uh, and then Oh Brother, Where Art Thou for almost completely different things. But like, if you think about all of the people who like old timey music today, it's yeah. probably because of the Soggy Bottom Boys. Yep. So like that was such a big hit. It actually won like I care for the Grammys well, that's, pro- probably less that's because than, yeah, yeah than anything. But that's because T Bone Burnett was behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And everything that guy touches pretty much turns to gold. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I care for the Grammys less than any other award show, but it did win you know album Mm. of the year which is you know at least has cultural significance i guess um so i would almost i would almost add to that that i'm not entirely sure but what one could make an argument that the album is more influential than the movie yeah yeah. (laughs) no i i I remember the album way more than i do the movie (laughs) Everyone at my church knew the album way more than they did the movie. <laughs> yeah, but I guess for me, I still can't like. I think there was like a a music video that went with it where you could see George mm-hmm. Clooney, and and so there was enough tie in to where I, I do feel like the movie kind of um, yeah gets gets to be part of the conversation with the music. So mm-hmm. you know, I. I think I do think maybe you're right that they were trying to uh, to ride kind of this mainstream success because Intolerable Cruelty and uh, and Lady Killers came right after Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Um, but I think that this is a weird way to do that. Yeah. I don't... I Because both Intolerable Cruelty... And Lady Killers, and even uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, they're pilfering from old movies, old screwball comedies that weren't really popular anymore. Like, Oh Brother, Brother, Where Art Thou, the name actually comes from um, the movie that the main character in... um, Sullivan's Travels. He's trying to make the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou? And ah. um, and you know you know what's interesting about that movie is he like it's it's again kind of this this bumbling journey where he he's 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 it's a pretty funny character because he almost is. I'm trying to think if there's a connection in um in Hail Caesar to this character because there this character in Sullivan's Travels he wants to make a movie for the common man and he's tired of making these serious movies uh and or no he's 
he's tired of making these comedies. So he's a comedy director. He's tired of making comedies. I got it flipped. And he wants to make a movie uh, for the common man. And he wants it to be very serious and, and mm-hmm. for everyone. And then he, you know, he decides that the best way to do this is basically to try to dress up like a bum and pretend that he's a bum and get like real life experience. And then he just gets the shit kicked out of him. Uh, (laughs) And it's like a terrible experience. And then, um, and then he gets arrested and he gets put in uh, prison camp. And then uh, the, there's this really compelling scene near the end where the prisoners all go to, a church, a black church in the South, which is weird because they're not even, I don't understand like the geography of this movie because mm-hmm. it takes place in like LA. He's like an LA director. And then at some <laughs> point he's in the South. Does it, it doesn't need to mean anything, but, um, but they, uh, the, all the prisoners go to watch a movie at this black church and, it's a comedy. It's like a Tom and Jerry movie and everyone is busting up laughing and it's just really intense. Like how much people are laughing and he like looks around and he realizes this is the every man. And this is what, like, <laughs> what they want to watch. Like they don't want to watch some dumb interpretation of their lives by someone who never has, has experienced that. Um, so I don't know where I was getting at with that, but, uh, but that's where I don't either, but I am, I am, I am infatuated with this idea, whatever it is. But, <laughs> but so that movie, he was trying to make the movie. Oh brother, where art thou? I guess that's what I was trying to say. And, yeah. um, and I think the Coen brothers, I do think that they were trying to like embrace comedy in this era. I think yeah. they had, they had made kind of these like they had made Fargo, they had made The Big Lebowski, and yes, those are comedies, but they're they're you know they're hipstery. They're pretty they're, like they're super gritty, dark, dry wit. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're they're, almost, they're quote intellectual comedies. <laughs> exactly, they're almost they're almost you know like what you would call, you know, coastal comedies or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But one interesting thing about the Coen brothers is like, I always just thought that they were like New York elites, you know, for some reason, mm-hmm. like, you know, most movie directors are. So not a big yeah. deal, whatever. But they actually grew up in the Midwest. So they're, they're that, from- that shouldn't surprise me. No, knowing their their type of humor and their their penchant for very much interacting with religion uh, and just about every movie they made, they've made like it's it's always there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They grew up in Minnesota um, in a suburb in Minnesota. And uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, and they went to all through high school, I think, and then they then they went to New York when they were, you know, going to college, but uh, mm-hmm. and found success. But uh, but yeah, you know, 
they especially because a lot of their movies take place in the south and then a couple of them take place in the midwest and they they you know they seem to have more of an open geography than a lot of other directors um where like you know a lot of tons of movies just take place in new york or la uh because Mm -hmm. that's that's where everybody is who's making movies um but you know if you look at the coen brothers movies they take place all over the place you know arizona i have to and i and i have to honestly thank uh the coens and Paul Thomas Anderson for shining the the light on West Texas because now every movie is made in West Texas. Every movie is set in the West Texas. Well, wait. Do you think that's West Texas? Okay, I was gonna say um... it's not Panhandle. No, no, not quite. We're 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 not that cool yet. But West Texas, it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna say was was that maybe the influence of Linkletter too or Linkletter? Uh, yeah, probably so. Although he's Austin, which is not yeah, he's Austin. Yeah. No, no, it's it's Austin is its own little island in the rest of the state. Yeah, it's the very much the liberal part of Texas. <laughs> Yes. Uh, surrounded by a bunch of bunch of conservatives, <clears throat> but with the stray Democrat and the ever strayer uh, socialist abounding. So yeah, but I uh, yeah no I mean I feel like once you know you got the double threat of no country and that there will be blood in one year. Uh, it opened up this whole new landscape. And then like, I started seeing like hell or high water and like, uh, I mean, there's that new movie with, uh, what's his name from the office called vengeance. I think it's called or something like that. Oh, uh, BJ Novak. Uh, oh yeah. Is the podcast host. That's, that's in West Texas. Like it's like, it's, it's now opened up this whole, Oh, there's interesting stories that can happen in West Texas. And then, you know, of course, Friday Night Lights, which is West Texas. So of there's course. A, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. West Texas, man. Gotta love it. Just wait. One day. The panhandle. It, one day. It will rise. Did you ever? It has one famous scene at the end of Castaway. The crossroads scene. Is filmed in the Panhandle of Texas. I don't think I remember that. It's it's honestly been a while since I've seen Castaway. Yeah, me too. But it was just super exciting at the time. Hey, I know where that's at. I've been there. <laughs> um. Yeah there's there's an album that i listen to that i think is one of it's like do you ever have like these kind of perfect 10 albums where they just are odd and they're kind of one-off albums Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. did you ever did you ever listen to Lift to Experience? No. Uh it's this weird ass shoegaze slash okay. space space rock. You te- have my attention. Texas band. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you're <laughs> Okay. You're gonna get really into this, I can tell. Uh, I'm already getting hard. So <laughs> the uh the album is a concept album called the Texas Jerusalem Crossroads. And it's about the second coming of Christ in Texas. God. And it's West Texas boys. And they're a band. Has, how, how have I not known about this? I don't know. I don't know how it's not a bigger deal because it's actually, a, it's incredible. It's really good. Okay. Music. I need you to remind me to listen to this tomorrow. Yeah. Um I will find it and I will buy it. Side unseen. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's about like a rock band who makes a deal with God to basically be prophets for his mission as long as he makes them rock stars. So that's kind of like the story and it's it's insane. <laughs> So that that sounds amazing. Yeah, I am. I've I've not. It's been a long time since I've been this excited about something. (laughs) Like I get excited talking about it. So I usually try to temper people's like expectations of things. But I think this album is like I think about it from time to time. And I just think like, wow, it's really amazing that thing exists because the band like disbanded and just it was just this weird one-off thing. Like the, the guy who was kind of the leader, I think a couple of years back they played a couple of shows, but like that was it. It fizzled out after that. But, um, but yeah, the guy who was kind of the front man, Josh T Pearson, he has recorded a couple things here and there after, but um, mm-hmm. nothing quite like this album. So all- was that the only album they put out? They have like an EP, but yeah, this is the only album that they put out. So that is that is even better. Yeah, I will. Um, yeah, I'll remind you and send okay. it to you. I will uh, be listening to that along with the new DM Stiff and the new uh, Black Thought album. Ooh, I I pre-ordered oh, Michael's the new- Affair and Black Thought. All Michael's affair. L L Michael's affair. Mm. He's this kind of soul hip hop instrumental producer guy that his his stuff is amazing. But him and Black Thought put a created an album. Okay, cool. Uh, I won't be listening to that, but I will be listening to the new. How Deal. dare you, sir? <laughs> I just, I just, there's so much music. I don't know. Um, I will be listening to the new DM Stith album uh, tomorrow when that drops. So yes, yeah, both of us are fans. Hey, if any of our listeners ever want to reach out and talk obscure ass music with us, we are more than down to talk about obscure music because I feel like Jameson and I are are 
two of the only people that can understand each other when we talk about music. Yeah. No. <laughs> so it's it's actually surprising because I think I don't know if the first time I don't remember, but like um, when I met you online or whatnot, you had I remember like lost in osmosis. I still think you use that handle every once in a while. Yeah. Um, uh, but you use lost in osmosis and that is a reference to uh, an old earth suit album. Um, and I immediately got that reference because being a good Christian boy who there wasn't a lot of good Christian music that I knew about. I of course gravitated to earth suit, uh, which is a band that probably no one knows what we're talking about when we say earth suit, but uh, they know what came out of earth suit though. Yeah. If you've ever heard of the band (laughs) mute mute math, then you basically know what earth suit would sound like if you added rap to it which (laughs) is maybe a little goofy and it does get goofy but it's also pretty inventive and at least it was ambitious so easily um, ambitious super there's a lot of underground christian music that was ambitious even if they didn't quite nail it yeah yeah no i mean they nailed it they nailed it but that was jesus they nailed him yeah yeah that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, Earth Suit, I still pop that album in every once in a while. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I skip around some. I don't know if I listen to every track, but uh, but there's still some really good, good music from but it. But you do listen to the rap one, right? Because it's... It's glorious in all the ways. There's a couple rap ones. There's like uh, the first song has some pretty uh, interesting rap on it. And but the most famous song that they had. Is it has, against, against the Grain? I think so. I think that's what it's called. Man, I need to listen to it again. It's been a long time. But yeah, I just remember seeing Paul Meany in this like weird ass space get up rapping. And I was like, uh, wow. <laughs> um, I did see Mute Math once, um, but they I were saw on, them too. I saw them on Warp Tour and they played while Under Oath played. And at that time, Under Oath was much bigger than them. And there were 12 people watching Mute Math. And it was awesome. That's unfortunate. Well, no, oh, it was actually. They're great. It was actually really fortunate because they played yeah. just like they were playing to a hundred people, and it was, it was really good. So ah, uh, mute math, rest in peace. Yeah, I think I liked <laughs> their earlier output more than their later output, but, um, but, you know, yeah, yeah, man, I feel like this conversation. This is how much we like this movie. Because we are we are going we are bouncing off like a pong ball, just back well, and forth. We're 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 hitting like as soon as the pong ball hits like the middle of 
the screen, we're talking about the movie. But then we pong right over to the other side and do something else. And we're just like, <laughs> well, Blake, I have a confession. I watched this movie like three weeks ago, and I didn't really do anything to prepare. So part uh, of that I watched this movie like three weeks ago as well because i screwed up and did so here's the if you if the listeners want to know why we're only releasing one episode this month it is because yours truly had in his mind two separate narratives that eventually collided i had a narrative where i was going to record with jameson on our typical thursday night and a separate narrative where I was going to celebrate my anniversary, my wedding anniversary with my wife on the same night. But for whatever reason, those two narratives did not actually cross paths until about two days before. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Well, we all know who's going to lose out in this. Yeah. Who I lost. Hey Jameson, um, is it possible we uh, we push it to the weekend or next week? Uh, and Jameson's like, "Hell no, bro! My wife has a birthday next week. I got shit to do." Wives, I mean, I am I right? I couldn't pull off the weekend, and and then so yeah, we 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 were like, "Well, just kick it to another week." So yeah, it's been about three weeks for both of us. Although I did watch the 1955 one two nights ago. Mm. So it is actually fresher in my mind. It actually jogged my memory of the Coen Brothers version because they're so close. So, But, but Blake, where did you go instead of recording a podcast? Didn't you go to a special location? I went to... A place called Monkey Island. And was that, that in, a, in the ocean? An island, a no, real island in the ocean? It was in the water. But it was not in the ocean. It was called Monkey Island. It was a golf resort called Shangri-La. In the middle of nowhere. Sticks, Oklahoma. Wow. I didn't even know they had monkeys in Oklahoma. They don't. Oh. And so we, we, we don't know why it was called Monkey Island, um, but they have a whole town that these this couple that started a, a, a town, I guess, in that area, uh, they built a whole old-fashioned community with a bunch of log cabins and a church and for no reason but we went to visit that because that's the kind of weird ass shit my wife and i do when we're on weird excursions we went to for instance we went to the polynesian cultural center when we went to hawaii don't ever go to polynesian cultural center it's a cover for the mormons oh There is a temple right behind the Polynesian Cultural Center, and you will get volunteers asking if you want to go to the temple. Hmm. That is. And you. Yeah. 
It's 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 the it's the BYU hub. That's what I was gonna say. That's that's yeah. like something I know about Hawaii is that there's a BYU in Hawaii and then there's a BYU in Utah. So there must be a yeah. lot of Mormons. It's it's a special place. We left. We we actually left because we were a little scared <laughs> of how weirdly cultish it felt. <laughs> so, but you uh, didn't get any cult vibes from Monkey Island, right? No, no. It's just a bunch of rich white people playing golf. Mm. Do you play golf? Uh, I don't play golf so much as uh, landscape engineering. Okay. Yeah. I like to rearrange a little d- dirt here and there. Okay. But uh, systematically and, and... Yes. And with force. Yes. And with bad aim. Well, Blake, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to personally on the air forgive you for um not playing any better i guess oh i appreciate that <laughs> i appreciate that it's it had really been worrying me the last yeah. couple of weeks that i had to postpone and that we were screwing up our yearly schedule uh yeah because i clearly cannot handle a calendar correctly yeah. and so <laughs> I mean, if we don't record, you know, ever, we're not going to hit our uh, hit our our minute macros for that's true. How much that's true? We, how much we need to to record? Actually, hey, 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 Jameson, Jameson, would you like to know how many uh, minutes we have left this month at uh, this current moment? At this current moment, we have twenty four minutes and twenty seconds. How did you see the twenty seconds? Oh, you're looking at the. I can, okay. I can see the countdown and I know it's two hours. So I'm just subtracting in my mind. I'm cheating. I was like, how did you do that? What kind of magical mysticism are you using? I'm cheating with <laughs> subtraction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't care for this movie. Yeah, it, it was. And I think I wouldn't say I cared for it. But I just thought it was fine. It was yeah, yeah fine on the lower end of yeah. It was know. more of like uh, it's fine. It wasn't like it was fine. Yeah, it was like, fine. Fine, fine. I do like that it still maintains some Coen Brothers nature to it, but I think what yeah. you said is an important distinction with some of the rest of the movies is like, yes, maybe with all of them, you bring in certain aspects, but this one, it really pushes you, really pushes you to want to talk about the other movies more. So, um, it's maybe a good way to, maybe a good way to wrap up the conversation about this film is for each of us to give our, top Coen Brothers film. Okay. I'll let you go first. So this one changes for me on a regular basis because uh, there's only one Coen Brothers film that I have a tattoo of. And uh, that is uh, 
for for the listeners who can't see it, that is I have a a woodpecker on my what left? Yeah, I can't do rights and left <laughs> on the fly. On my left bicep. Um and I it's it's kind of a similar placement and similar style to uh, what Nicolas Cage's character has in Raising Arizona. Nice. It, it even says uh, hi on it, H-I, which is Nicolas Cage's name, um, which I've always taken because he uh, he uses uh, he uses his initials and mm-hmm. he doesn't like his uh his name um i've always taken that as a flannery o'connor reference to that's hilarious oe parker um yep but um but that's neither here nor there um anyway uh i love that movie and that movie connects with me really well um the more i watch it and so that's my heart says that's my top, but oh, oh, country for no men. No, um, <laughs> no country for old men. Um, I think that's that's the one that my brain says is their best. Um, Not only that, but it's it's eminently rewatchable. It's so, so good. Yeah, but I think for me, those two fight for a top spot. Gotcha. I think I think I'm in a similar place, although I'm going to trade out Raising Arizona with a burn after reading. Burn after reading. Burn after. And I know that that tends to be a a pretty, pretty uh, uncommon uh opinion because uh, i think while it's burn after the reading is not considered among their worst it's probably lower mid-tier for most people <laughs> so um but i i adore burn after reading uh, i adore how they came about writing it i adore the execution mm-hmm. i think it's one of my favorite brad pitt roles yes i love it and the only the only movie that kind of runs up against it as far as my favorite is is no country old old men for exactly the same reasons as you said because i think it probably is their best movie and it's just so damn rewatchable it's it's... whereas burn after reading as much as i love it i don't want to watch it all that often yeah that's that's true (laughs) I, it's been a while since I've rewatched it, but I do love Burn After Reading. So you have no shame for that choice. Like yeah. I think that's that's a great choice. Um, speaking of Burn After Reading and Brad Pitt's role, you've seen the first season of Fargo, right? I've seen all the seasons of Fargo. Okay, I've I'm I've a not... Fargo fanatic. I've not seen the fourth season. I need to still watch that, but. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about the first season okay? because I've always taken, um, uh, Dennis Glenn, uh, 
what's his last name? Um, Dennis from Always Sunny. Um, oh, yeah. Glenn, uh, Glenn Howerton. Glenn, Glenn Howerton, yeah. I've always taken his role as kind of a uh, a remake of Brad Pitt's role in Burn After Reading. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can see that. I, and I think for as much as I love Brad Pitt in that movie, I think Glenn Howerton kind of edges it out for me. And it's just, they just do such a great, great job of this. And I think Brad Pitt, like there's a very shocking scene with him. And (laughs) instead of playing it for shocks, they kind of have a similar arc with Glenn Howerton's character, but it's played for there's, there's so much more, I guess, like sadness in it. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, it's, it's unique how it, how it it kind of, you know, slightly changes that. But um, yeah, anyway, I mean, the whole first season of the TV show Fargo is almost a, not only is it kind of a reworking of the movie in a lot of ways, but it's also it's also kind of bringing in like these versions of characters from yeah Coen Brothers films, and then every season after that kind of becomes its own thing. Um, apart from even though they're producers on it, um, I am going to drop what may really frustrate and anger a lot of people. I think the TV show might be better than the movie. Than the movie Fargo. Yes. Well, yeah, I don't think you can compare them that well. I do think that I rewatched the movie Fargo and I like a couple weeks ago, I was very impressed with it. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, it's very yeah. good. This is, it's no shade on the movie. So yeah. here, please hear, hear me. I love Fargo the movie. But I think I might like what they're doing with the show much, much more than the movie. <laughs> well, I do think the show is maybe almost more impressive in that yeah. it maintains such high quality for a longer length of time. And well, over... that's also probably because he goes like years yeah. <laughs> writing a new season. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's 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 really impressive. I mean, it's almost like you had, a, you know, you had this guy obsessing over this one movie just his entire life and like dedicating yeah. so much space in his mind to it. And, you know, and if you have the right person and the right, you know, I guess work to it or genius to it, then sure, yeah, that's going to produce something really great, mm-hmm. if not better. Um, I do want to mention. So at the beginning, I think I mentioned this bracket. So I feel like yeah. I should at, at least uh, wrap that up and say what movie won, because we actually oh, haven't. I'm we ha- proud of what movie won. To oh be yeah. Honest. <laughs> we we haven't mentioned it at all tonight. So uh, yeah, it's it actually, probably their most religious film too. It's 
100% their most religious film. And it's also their most personal film because we did mention they yeah. grew up in Minnesota and um, and they even tried to find a, um, a suburb that looked as much as possible like the suburb that they grew up in. They grew up um, in, yeah. And, and it, you know, they're basically the ages of the kids in the movie, but the movie is a serious man, which came out. Yeah. Um, it was their movie after burn after reading. So they had just such a strong, uh, you know, honestly, after, after uh, no country for old men, they didn't have any duds. Uh, it was mm-hmm. just, just a strong, strong it's like they found their they they found their actual like their their bread and butter and they just went with it yeah but a serious man uh topped our list and i think for good reason too it's just it's really really funny um and Mm -hmm. i don't remember i remember the first time i watched it i didn't really get it you know, it was back it was in 2009. I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know if I had met a Jewish person in my life at that point. Um, so like, yeah, I don't know if I, I you know, I did, that humor didn't like connect for me. I hadn't really thought about that space before. Um, and um, I'm older now. And I just know a little bit more about the world. Uh, Job connects with me more, the book of Job. And, you know, uh, this, this, you know, depressing, nothing is good existence and kind of fighting in the trying to maintain order in your life and it never coming about just as. Yeah. It's it. You just have to laugh um, at how dark it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and but I yeah. almost uh, part of me wants to say that it's probably their most profound film too. Like, there's just a lot of a lot of meaning inherent in it. Not, I mean, even if you th- if you toss aside the the religious imagery, like just the setting and the time period and the community. Like there's a lot going on in the the interactions and the the commentary that's being made in that movie, uh, and then you add on top of that this kind of Old Testament uh, narrative that they're kind of uh, riffing on. Uh, it's just pretty impressive. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. Well. Um... I think that's probably a good place to end this, right? Yeah, I think so. Do we have any final business for our listeners? Uh, no, but we soon enough, soon enough, we will have a special guest on, and uh, we are we are doing our first forcing this person to watch a movie instead mm. of letting them pick. And this person will know who we are talking about when they listen to it, listen to this episode. So, uh, yeah, prepare yourself, sir. Forced by film. Forced by film. (laughs) Yeah. 
and and who knows you guys might get another uh 10 minute episode because we've got 10 minutes of recording time you just never know i mean we're crazy if if we have another one this month it'll only be about 10 minutes long so yeah so there you go all right all right bye bye